Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today, we're talking about Modern Horizons and then a discussion about cats. Yeah, we're here with Allie Medwin. Uh, she works on Mitgo and was on the exploratory design and the vision design team for Modern Horizons. Uh, I was on the vision design team and was the editor for the set. So we sort of have the beginning and the end of the whole set covered. Welcome to the show, Allie. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks. Sure. We're glad to have you. Yeah. So Allie, you can sort of jump in here too, but my remembering this set was just that everything sort of got thrown together all at once and it was immediately playable and was great. And then we published it. <laughs> it that's true. It, it took about five minutes, but a lot of people spent the same five minutes doing their own thing. So yep. uh, we woke up one morning by evening, we had a, a set ready to go. It was the smoothest process of all time. Yeah, it was incredible. Actually, I mean, it was uh, incredibly fast. It seemed from reading the articles about it, like the things, obviously you're, you're overstating how fast it went, but it seemed like things went fast about how long would a normal set take to get through this sort of vision and exploration process as compared to how Modern Horizons went? So... The exploratory design phase, that's when you play around with like blue sky ideas, like, oh, you know, we've got these goals for the set. Like, we want to make a set that's all about magic and celebrating magic. So let's make riffs on cards and let's right. use a bunch of old mechanics. And we sort of started with the idea of Ethan presented this idea of we're going to do Time Spiral 2 and everything that that sort of entails and then go from there. That's the sort of exploratory basis, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rosewater was pitching Future Site 2 as a right. possible project for the hackathon at the same time Ethan was pitching Time Spiral 2. Right. So Globus was like, hey guys, one of you is peanut butter and the other is chocolate. Yeah. So they started working and I think... It was about two hours in. I'd been on a different team for the hackathon and working with uh, Ken Nagel on something that I don't think I can talk about. Right. <laughs> and uh, I heard Ethan and Mark were talking about doing Time Spiral 2. I audibled to their team as rapidly as I possibly could <laughs> because Time Spiral is one of my favorite sets of all time. Reading Rosewater's articles at the time talking about the design process made it sound like designing Time Spiral was some of the most fun he's ever had. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to get in on that. By the end of the first day of the hackathon, I was on their team officially. Yeah. For my part, I was in the midst of editing Rivals of Ixalan at the time. And I emailed Ethan and was like, hey, I really don't have time to be on the exploratory design team, but can I participate anyway? <laughs> <laughs> and do as much as I can and sit in some meetings and stuff like that. And so I got to, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. You had a bunch of cool ideas, though. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I still did some work. I was just, I wasn't able to do quite as much as everyone else. I feel like I was half time on that. So, but I was there. <laughs> you, were de you were definitely there. It was great. Normal exploratory design is, I want to say, like three months, six months, depending on, yeah, like... I think nowadays it's three months. I don't yeah. work in R&D anymore, so and they've changed processes. So I could be off base on that. That sounds about right, though. It takes about a week 
rather, the hackathon lasted a week, and then we immediately launched into vision design. So we took a month-long process, months-long process, boiled it down into a week, the end of which we had a playable demo of what we were working on, which is not something that exploratory usually has at all. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like everything just came together so smoothly. Like we all knew what we were doing and what we were trying to accomplish. Yep. Uh, the problem wasn't figuring out how to execute uh, or at least the, the directions in which to execute. It was how do we get people on board with the idea that time spiral two is a good idea and right. isn't just going to lead to the same kind of sales issues that time spiral had because at the time this is before my time at wizards but i'm going off what rosewater said publicly determinant behavior was up but sales were down and that was different for the first time in magic history you had a smaller amount of people who were really enthusiastic about it but yes it was interesting reading the article because that's what i took out of it too it was just sort of like i think every one of those articles started with time spiral was my favorite set like I just yeah. loved it more than anything else. But on the whole, like Time Spiral was a problem for wizards in general because it didn't resonate with, I guess, like players as a whole. And that seems like a tough nut to crack when you try and I'm sure it was something you were consciously trying to avoid stepping into that pitfall again. Like, how do you do that? So there were a couple of ways that we approached things. The first was that we knew this wasn't going to be one of the regular standard legal sets every year. We knew this was going to be the innovation product for whenever it came out. Can you define innovation product for our listeners who are not aware? Yeah, of course. So innovation product is what we refer to the one offbeat set that we do every year where we try something new, where we do something that we haven't done before, or we've only done once or twice. Conspiracy and Battle Bond were innovation products. And Conspiracy 2, not quite as innovative, but you know, it was still exploring some new space. You know, we knew that if we were going to make Project Decadence, which is yeah. what this started off being called. Excellent code name, by the way. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Globus. Uh, Mark yeah. Globus is a stone cold genius. And that is especially true when it comes to coming up with code names. Yep. That man needs like zero time to think of the perfect code name for anything. <laughs> so we knew if Decadence was going to get made, it was going to have to be an innovation product. It couldn't be a standard legal set. And that was incredibly helpful because we knew that we could focus on the audience that the set was really for. Yeah, it was freeing in that sense. We could make right. cards that were very specific for particular audience groups. I mean... You could make, you know, deep cuts for Vorthos. You could make vintage cards. You could make modern deck specific cards, things like that. that um... Yeah. And just you could make cards that didn't have to be yeah. quite as accessible. Like mm -hmm. every standard legal magic set is built with the assumption that this is somebody's first set. Like magic is growing and it has been growing for, I don't know, I think every year in the last decade, yeah. uh, if not more. And so every set that's somebody's first, and I think that one of the mistakes that Time Sparrow made that Modern Horizons avoided is that it is a magic set about magic. So you have to have that understanding and love before the set makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas like you go to Theros, like 
everybody knows some Greek mythology. You know, you go to Innistrad, everybody's seen a zombie movie or some kind of horror flick. Mm -hmm. And you go to Time Spiral and you're like, this is a reference to a a product that I didn't even know existed like 10 years ago. So why do I care? Uh, With Modern Horizons, we knew this wasn't going to be aimed at, you know, the beginning player. Therefore, we didn't have to make allowances for that. And we could aim our cards and the draft experience and everything at the more enfranchised player. So that was really, really freeing. And actually, that sort of combined the two things I was going to say. So yeah, that. (laughs) To that point, like Magic is in a totally different spot now than it was when Time Spiral came out. I think it's probably like in a way better spot to handle a set like Modern Horizons than maybe it was to handle a set like Time Spiral at the time. That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly there are way more players now than there were when Time Spiral came out. But it's not just that there are more players. It's that there are more players that are part of the audience for a set like this. Because, you know, the kind of player who buys like three or four packs and has the same deck that they've been playing casually with their buddies once a month or so for the past, you know, nine, ten years, that's not the kind of player that we aimed Modern Horizons at. Now, if they get into Modern Horizons and they love it and they see something that works for them, I'm all for it. Hmm. But we had a much larger audience of enfranchised players. And so we we were able to target that. Yeah, I wonder, too, if actually some of the nostalgia parts of Magic have kicked in since Time Spiral. You know, old school has grown. Middle school is growing. There's just a lot more people who are gathering and looking back into Magic's past and remembering some of the things that they enjoyed about it. And like Modern Horizons really touches on some of those. That's true. Even better than Time Spiral did in some cases. Yeah. Because... Modern Horizons hit the bigger cards rather than some of the smaller ones. Right. We're not making Stormcloud Gin right. anymore. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, that was a combination of something or other plus Electric Eel. And I played with Electric Eel at the time. Right. I've seen Stormcloud Gin referenced a couple of times in those articles. Was that the most egregious example of something that was sort of really deep cut? Or are there like a lot of different examples of that in Time Spiral that... I would never get without someone explaining them to me. So there was a card in Time Spiral called Ridged Kusite. Yeah, that one's great. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm pulling that one up real quick. Yeah. Uh, so Ridged Kusite is a, uh, sorry, it's Planar Chaos. It is a spell shaper. And the spell that it shapes is target creature gets plus one plus O and gains first strike until end of turn. Now, you might be wondering what the actual is going on here. until you find out that Ridged Kusite is an anagram for Guided Strike, which is the spell that it's casting. Of course. Right. So, uh, there were some obscure things that we talked about, but the really obscure stuff we decided not to go with. That's such a weird pitch, even just thinking about who was really attached to Guided Strike at the time and was like, this is what we need. Yeah. But I guess, I, I mean, did you come up with situations like that when you were doing Modern Horizons where it was just like, there's a particular card that you're riffing on that's just like, this is too obscure, it's just not going to work? Oh, absolutely. Okay. All the time. <laughs> uh, that was Ethan's most common note given to me. This card you're riffing on is not notable enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the cards that I created for the original pitch for the hackathon actually was a clockwork creature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the same way, like clockwork beast and 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 those guys were Mm -hmm. and people fell in love with it it was adorable 
And how many people out there in the in the real world actually care about the clockwork creatures from Homelands and Revised and Antiquities? I mean, I'm raising my hand right now, but no one can see that. Right. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I brought it up, so that makes yeah. two of us. Uh, and I'm not saying that that audience doesn't exist. Right. But, well, you have to pick and choose. So. Right. So, you know, you only have so many cards in the set. So let's make sure that we're aiming our cards at things that people liked. Like, right. Bizarre Trade Mage is Bizarre of Baghdad. On a Serendib. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, on a Serendib of Freet. That's a phenomenal card, by the way. Yeah, that that is one of the more perfect packages, I think, in the set. But like, we also made a point of aiming for riffs on things that people see a lot of, sure. or that people, if they saw the original, would want later on. Like, Evermind was a card that people thought was kind of cool when it came out in Kamigawa, but it doesn't see play because splice onto arcane means you're playing with arcane cards and who wants to do that. So Everdream, like splice onto instant and sorcery, like that was a thing that everybody wanted to see. Like everybody who saw splice onto arcane was like, Oh man, why does this have to be just on this limited set of things that nobody wants to use? Why can't we just have a more general way to play this mechanic? So Splice on Instant and Sorcery was was absolutely... So I'm not going to talk about my day job very, like, super much. Uh, But I will say that I was the one who designed both Everdream and Splicer's Skill. I think (laughs) that's what it was called. Yeah. And those are both my babies, and I love them. And... Creating Splice onto Instant and Sorcery was not even close. The most expensive in terms of development time part of implementing Modern Horizons (laughs) by a factor of at least four over any other cards in the set. Just because you had to convince people that this was a thing that could be done and... I think it was probably like doing the development on MTGO, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, this is me talking about Magic Online for a moment. So designer allison loves these cards still does (laughs) product manager allison thinks designer allison is kind of a four-letter word Uh, but the work was worth it i think these cards are really cool uh i think that people are going to really like playing with them so like that's the kind of stuff that's worth making you know cards like uh the card is called clockwork grotesque right clockwork grotesque was not worth making like that takes up a card in the set that it's not going to delight anybody. Mm-hmm. It's going to make some people smile and nobody's going to love it. Yeah. The name would make people smile and past that you've gotten the joke and it's not an interesting card that you want to play with necessarily because the clockwork mechanic itself was difficult to use and oh, yeah. not very fulfilling. Yeah, that was always my problem with clockwork, not to get on a buzz about clockwork, but even recently, like last week, we were playing clockwork avian and it's just <laughs> like, you know, this card is neat but it's honestly not very good yeah going back to everdream in the in the development hurdles and product management and that sort of thing i mean like i think that that is a sign of successful product management because you looked at the end result and said look the end result's going to be great it's going to be hard to get there but everyone follow me and let's do this and you overcame that hurdle and i think that that's like a successful thing the net result is successful but 
when we were working in design on Modern Horizons, we didn't have the processes in place that we do today where digital folks, both Arena and MetGo, are working with the R&D folks. So there was no communication like, this is going to be expensive, but it's worth it. That's certainly true. But this was one of the things that really hammered home, uh, well, it was one of the things that in retrospect kind of really hammered home the fact that we need to be having these communications so that we can make intelligent decisions like that and have them actually be good product management instead of accidents that work out really, really well. <laughs> so yeah, today things are very different. Lessons learned. Yeah, right. Lessons learned. <laughs> so I've been deep in Modern Horizons since think the hackathon was december 2016 wow that's crazy because it, it feels yeah it feels like from the articles that this was something that came to pass in the last like six or eight months that was the feeling i got it's it's crazy that uh there was a three-year arc yeah it still takes a long time to produce a magic site, i guess and because of some scheduling things that aren't really worth talking about, but it got moved around in the schedule too. So I think it got finished earlier and then was produced oh, okay. later than it normally would have. Mm -hmm. But Cause this was the last set that I really worked on before I left. I was wrapping this up in August, 2018. Yeah, this was, this was the homework that I was doing when I was at my girlfriend's apartment real early in our relationship. And now we've been married for <laughs> almost a year. So like yeah. this set, it took a while from start to finish. Right. Obviously, it had sort of a whirlwind startup, so it got into sort of like a more normal cadence once the once you got down to like this is the set that we are pursuing. It's got to have all the normal stuff going on that proceeded at a regular pace. I mean, yeah, the hackathon was a ridiculously accelerated process. Yeah, the hackathon was really whirlwind, and it ended with a full set of cards, most of which would get you know cut out or drastically changed i mean it was just ethan decided that the best way to demonstrate that this was a viable concept was to produce a set and then draft it so between the four of us on the exploratory team we put together a set of cards and <laughs> drafted it which like we said happened in a week which is absurd but then after that things slowed down to normal spaces yeah Thing is, in, in a week is insane. But yeah, the vision design, I think, had six months, which mm -hmm. is a pretty normal time. Yeah. And then the set design team had even longer because we actually put together a modern FFL. That's the Future Future League, the constructed team right. that play tests, just for this set. Right. Along the way, it picked up the idea that, hey, maybe we should make a set that's aimed right at modern. There are pros and cons, but one of the results of that decision was, okay, well, if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that it doesn't like screw up modern. So we got to test modern. So, so is this the first time that they've had some sort of special set that also includes modern? Because I know they've done stuff. I think Planes Chase was like, hey, this is only vintage and legacy. Is this the first time that they've done something or you guys have done something that modern is included in that list? Yes. Yes. Everything else, uh, normally modern picks up only things that show up in standard. So the only path to get into modern is to go through standard. All of the supplementary sets are legacy and vintage, popper, commander, like every other format. Yeah. All the other formats are eternal formats and get everything. So it's... Right. They get commander decks and all that stuff. Yeah, so Modern Horizons was really us also testing the waters with, hey, what if this is aimed at modern? Mm -hmm. uh, and the nice thing there is also that that gave us some focus. 
so once we knew that this was going to be a modern set, we stopped looking at mechanics that didn't exist in modern already. So rest in peace, banding. Yeah, there was definitely a banding card at one point. <laughs> I think it was basically just banalish heroes because banding is such a complicated ability. It was probably what changeling, changeling banding or something like that. Yeah. It's probably like Changeling Banalish Hero. But so banding was out. And then we also put a cap at Dragons of Tarkir. So we weren't going to use anything that, that came out after, which definitely caused us to reevaluate some things. Like at one point, I think there was some investigate in the set. At one point, I pitched an energy card that I got no-mammed real fast because (laughs) we were definitely not going to make the infrastructure in the set necessary to make it an energy set. Oh, yeah, okay. The energy card would support itself but not get support from anything else. Right. And a lot of energy cards do that, but you're still not doing the fun thing about energy if it's the only energy in the form. It still left us a huge amount of room. Yeah, I think there's still like 40 different named mechanics in the set, if I remember from editing the glossary. Yeah. How many like keyword named abilities would there be in a regular like set that goes through standard? What, like four, five? Oh, really? At the most, yeah. Oh, geez. That's not counting the evergreen stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, So like flying, trample, they don't count. But think about like the recent sets, like adapt is one of five keywords in RNA. Right. And that's at the high end because Ravnica really wants to be factionalized and each faction has its own ability. Yeah, and I should say that I'm not counting the normal evergreen keywords in my count either because we wouldn't define those for translators either. Flying and trample and menace are Mm -hmm. common enough that they wouldn't show up in my count. And there are also mechanics that you can easily group together but just don't have a word for also. Like snow mana is definitely a mechanic, but there's no word on the card that says this is snow except the super type on some things right. or like the force cycle you know they're pitch cards sure we all know that they're pitch but there's cards no but mechanic for being a pitch card yeah, that one there's no name yeah. so there's a bunch of that stuff that doesn't count toward the 40 something mm-hmm. also like the untap symbol shows up on one card in the set yep i think it's one card yeah, i think that's right it's definitely not fewer than one so there's a there was a lot of freedom yeah. uh it was constrained but constraints and creativity are are happy friends. Yeah. You can see a lot of what ended up in the set and just think of all the stuff that got put on the cutting room floor because it was, you know, not the right card, not the right time, not the right mix of things. I mean, there were a lot of things that were similar to what did show up that could easily have replaced something. But how how big was that original like draft set that you made during the hackathon? Were you just so full of ideas that you ended up with like a 200 card set? I think it was just a normal set size, but there were things that didn't make even that list. There were a bunch of color shifts that didn't end up making it like at one point we had my favorite example is pearl dragonfly Uh, so (laughs) emerald dragonfly is a little easily forgettable common from legends it was a flyer and you could pay some mana to give it first strike which makes no sense in green but makes a lot of sense in white so color shifting it to white sure it's not a great creature but it's a reference that didn't make it because nobody cares about emerald dragonfly other than me i care and then Okay. I mean, that was in our draft last weekend. So. <laughs> what the heck kind of format are you guys playing? We, we did a middle school draft and then followed <laughs> that up by drafting a fourth edition in Chronicles Cube. Which has so, Emerald Dragonfly in it. Which has Emerald Dragonfly in it, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> okay, I'm definitely in the right place. Yeah, no, yep. you're, you belong yep. here. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, there were a lot of things ended up on the cutting room floor. I went through, I found a handful of playtest names that I'm going to share just because I think they're funny. Like at one point there was a card called uh, Thrall Lightning. It made spark elementals. <laughs> there was Ether Beatniks because that's a reference to Ether Snap. Uh, there was a Cloud Goat, not a Cloud Goat Ranger, just a just Cloud Goat. Cloud goat yeah. There was something called Bear That Fought Surak which was adorable. Well, that was in there for a while, too, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there was uh, Thrall Drifter. Is that discard two cards? Uh, no, I think it made creatures. Like, it made Thrall tokens. Oh, okay. Like, a one Thralls. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about it, too. I think one of the things that Modern Horizons did right was that it aimed a little bit closer to the current time. I feel like Time Spiral aimed a little bit too far back for a lot of players. So if you yes. did start in... If you have started playing Magic in the last three years, like there's still something for you in modern horizons whereas in time spiral there may not really have been like you'd still see some stuff you would remember but i mean it, we weren't just yeah. aiming at recent stuff right like one of my favorite cards in the set is goblin or flame oh gosh which for those of you who don't know the story orcish or flame is a card from alpha it's a red enchantment that gives attacking creatures you control plus one power in alpha it was printed with a one r mana cost and then in beta and forward it had a three r mana cost we because that card was too absurd for early players. Right. But the problem is that 3R for that effect is not playable. Not quite right. competitive in, in modern magic. Or even back then. Yeah, also true. But Goblin or a Flame is the same card with the mana cost from Alpha. So it's a ridiculously old school reference. But it's a story that's easy to tell. And it's a card that makes total sense, even if you don't know the gag. Yeah. I found out actually yesterday at the employee pre-release from Ethan that people had been turning that card in, that exact card that became Goblin Oriflame, for basically every set since he's been around. <laughs> uh, it, it's just that it wasn't until Modern Horizons that we were able to execute on the gag properly. Oh, right? okay. Because we could actually have it be an homage to the original rather than, you know, have the joke there but not be able to yeah. acknowledge it properly. Right. And it's got that sweet Sarpadian Empires flavor text. Oh, God, please, Fallen Empires. Love Fallen Empires. <laughs> so I should tell you, too, on Tuesday, we played the Fallen <laughs> Empires cube. <laughs> you guys have more fun with magic than I do, I think. Hey. So that's kind of like the thought process, and that's kind of a couple of the stories. Like, do you guys have things that are particular favorites? Like, I got a huge list, but I'm curious to know what you guys liked. I was thinking about it myself because I, like I said, I, I worked on this at the end, too, when Allison Lurz and I were doing the creative editing. And the creative editing process for this set was um, because of how some timing worked out, Allison was changing positions we ended up truncating it down into like a week's time for that too. So we had, we were basically just the two of us in a room trying to hash out all of these names and flavor text, which is normally it's like a three week process. There's some back and forth, you make up spreadsheets and things like that. And this was just much shorter. And a lot of it was just like putting the card up on screen, reading through it. And she gets flavor text submissions and name submissions from a group of contractors. And so we would just put it up on screen she would have some already chosen that would be on the card as it would look in players' hands. And we would just sort of try and think how players would react to it. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this the right attitude? Obviously, we could do a lot with um, weird puns and callbacks and things like that. There's a lot of just great flavor text in here that 
was made even better because like we were just sharing it in the room at the same time and just like laughing hysterically at some of these. I remember being in the room for one of those sessions, one of the early ones. Yeah. And it was pretty great. Yeah. There's just so many callbacks to random various characters. There's one new character that's just crazy. I really wanted to get someone in there from uh, the old Chandelier video game and I didn't end up getting that one done. But Oh, that's a shame. I know. There's a love song from Night and Day. We did get Wurzel and Thaumel in. Yeah, that one was real good. I know Ethan submitted a whole bunch of flavor text for some of these. I think that was one of his where he was like, oh, we have these two. Wurzel and Thaumel are the example wizard planeswalker characters from the Alpha Rulebook. And they're on Segovian Angel, which is another reference to the very tiny plane of Segovia, the Segovian Leviathan, the 3-3 Leviathan that's bigger than whales is from. And the card mechanically itself is a miniature Sarah Angel, which is another reference to Alpha, just such an iconic card. Yeah, that one in particular is just everything worked out. The art is tilt shifted, which is great. Actually, Segovian Angel is like, that's actually a thing that we were trying to do a little more of Mm -hmm. uh so we took like an iconic creature and we wanted to make like the baby version yeah and Segovian Angel obviously survived there were a few others I know that the baby Masticore survived I don't remember if any others did though someone else I think uh Rosewater may have talked about that in one of his interviews where he had a uh, there was a cycle of them and like a little tiny shivan dragon and stuff like that yeah part of the problem with that cycle was like you get the gag once <laughs> well it's also just like a lot of these cards have already been made right. like baby shiv and dragon is just like dragon whelp yeah or whatever the new version of dragon whelp is i remember there was a miniature balduvian horde at one point does that need a miniature i mean that was the chase rare out of the set come on it was but it turns out that the miniature version of balduvian horde was actually made in odyssey it was a completely forgettable oh. uncommon. I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, I don't remember. Minotaur something? Minotaur Explorer. But then we also had, like, a baby Sengir vampire, which is Sengir bats, basically. Oh, right, which yeah. Which Homelands... Covered in, in its own set. Deserves to be in Homelands. Right. <laughs> and baby Mahamori Jin is... Like, Mahamori Jin's iconic, but it's only iconic because yeah. it's a 5-6. Right. And if you make it anything other than that, you lose the gag. Yeah, it right. just becomes another vanilla blue flyer. It's a flying one, too. Right. It's Stormcrow. Yay. So, like, there were things that started out as cycles that we didn't have great executions on for all of them. So we borrowed the idea from Future Sight of you don't need to cycle everything out. You can just have a bunch of things that suggest a depth of magic and that individually reference things without creating a full cycle out of them. The example that I'm, I think, most proud of here is, uh, I forget what the final card name was. It's the Entwine for Black spell. Twisted Reflection. Twisted Reflection, yeah. So I actually turned in a full cycle of that kind of thing where you have, like, here's a blue card with two modes and you have mode a mode b but when you combine them they're black so i had a green version you had mode a mode b entwined for black and i had one for each of the four other colors which in part was a nod to torment Torment. uh, and in part was just a cute color pie gag but only this one survived because the others just they weren't as strong and they didn't make the cut like would you rather have 
some green weird spell that entwines for black or have like tornado or life storm or weather storm that's what it's called yeah cards couldn't be just a cycle and survive they had to be cool on their own so i turned in a bunch of color pie gags and only i think two really survived the other was originally going to be dark light and helix which was a sorcery dealt three down any target you gain three life but the mana cost was a black red hybrid and a black white hybrid so you could cast it as red white and then use red to deal the damage white to gain the life or red black where you have red to deal the damage black to gain the life or white black <laughs> black to deal the damage and white to gain the life or just mono black so you know acknowledging the color pie joke Adam thought that that was a bad idea, and I think he was right. Multiple different hybrid symbols in the same cost are really confusing for a lot of people. Yeah, I haven't given up on it. <laughs> uh, I've been trying to pull that off since Commander 2016. Smiting Helix still exists in the set. Where Didn't they say that that started out with like a bunch of crazy symbols in the casting cost and then they yeah that's that's the card yeah Allie's oh, okay about. yeah it's the that's black the white and then black red hybrids yeah. so it, was, it was two symbols but yeah like it is complex i thought this might be the place yeah i maintain that there is a place i just <laughs> need to find it so that is my windmill to tilt at yeah the gags in the set they just had to hit a certain threshold like seasoned pyromancer it's obviously a grown-up young pyromancer. Like, that's a card that people love, yeah. right? Or they had to be self-contained. Like, Settle Beyond Reality absolutely fits into the Blink theme mm. and the White Removal theme. Right. Well, I guess that's not really a theme, but... It's just a thing White does. Like, the playtest name for Settle Beyond Reality was Let's Take This Outside. Yeah. So there was a lot going on. I like the flavor of Settle Beyond Reality because it's literally, if you choose both, you end up with two creatures that leave the battlefield, but only one returns. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's such a great gag that <laughs> ends up coming through. <laughs> two men enter, one man leaves. But yeah, it is definitely, you know, a little Mad Maxy. Yeah. <laughs> Take this into the Thunderdome. Right. The other thing that we, we definitely tried to deliver on and I'm really happy that it came out as well as it did, is making characters that didn't have cards or didn't have good cards mm -hmm. before. I have a Sisei Commander deck. <laughs> it's not good. Now you can have a better Sisei Commander deck. But we have a better Sisei now. Yeah. Like, you can actually have Sisei and the crew of the Weatherlight all well, in the and same deck. And Yogmoth has never been a person, right? Right. Yeah, or Urza. I mean, Urza, sort of, but not really. Urza, yeah. I think technically Blind Seer was supposed to be Urza. Yeah. yeah, but you don't really look at Blind Seer and you're like, yeah, that's Urza. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you actually have to know that, too. Yeah. Like, if you are uninitiated to the story of Urza, seeing Blind Seer isn't going to give you any indication. Like, yeah. But there's, yeah, Sarah, too. Sarah the Sarah, Benevolent. Yeah. I feel like they did a good job of putting those together where it's... They live up to the reputation that they have for the most part. I also really like Pashalik Mons. Oh, yeah. So Mons Johnson is a playtester in R&D. He works on Duel Masters. He works on Magic. He works on Transformers as well now, I think. Yep. And he's a good guy. Like, he, he's just a really solid dude. He's been around literally forever. He's been, he was one of the original playtesters, like... His name is on Hence he showed operators. up on a card. <laughs> right. But he'd never had a card made of the character that was made in his name. We don't do vanity cards anymore, but like 
in 2019, we found a way to grandfather him in. Right. Man, I totally missed this card in the, when it was spoiled, but I always wanted to know who Pasha Lickmans was of Mansa's Goblin Raiders. Because, I mean, I, I've cast that spell so many times back in the day because oh, yeah. it was a goblin and you had goblin decks and stuff. The other thing on Pashalik Mons is like sacrifice a goblin to make two goblins. Like sacrificing goblins to make more goblins is a thing that has been done many times in the past. Like Goblin Warrens. Isn't it just Goblin Warrens? Goblin Warrens. Yeah. Uh, Goblin Warrens is, I think, sack two to make three. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. There are a lot of like little deep references that you wouldn't necessarily get, but it's okay if you don't get them. Right. That's sort of what we were aiming at. So mm-hmm. no clockwork grotesque, but we can have Pashlik Mons. And there's some other cool legends that came up new in this set, like Hogak and Ren and Six, or new characters rather. Yeah, Ren and Six were kind of funny when they were spoiled because I remember yeah. them, like asking, hey, like, who are these people? Hey, hey, Nat, can you tell me what the backstory is on these? And it's just like... Yeah. No, (laughs) they're just here. It's just not, doesn't exist yet. But I mean, you know, they're new characters that backstory can be developed for. Mm -hmm. I think actually I was looking through my notes and I'm pretty sure that Hogak became legendary when an earlier version of his card didn't fit on the card. (laughs) And it would have been easier to use Hogak as the name in the text box to make more text fit. Interesting. Which is like editor problems, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I kind of don't miss that life. <laughs> we had a lot of discussions about reminder text because I know there were, I mean, we put reminder text on cards because again, this could still be someone's first set ever and we want them to be able to open cards and have some idea of what's going on, but with all the different keywords and things that are going on in here, you can't really know. But I remember coming up with combined reminder text for Convoke and Delve for Hogak. And what's the red card that has two keywords? Throws of Chaos. Cascade, Retraced. Oh, yeah. And I know that Mark Hagen, who's one of our product architects, argued for that to have no reminder text on it. It's just like, I don't even know what that card does. <laughs> that is so fitting. That would have been great. I know. It would have been awesome. And like in the future, I hope yes. that there's a promo that is Throws of Chaos with awesome no art and no text the new ultimate wizards of the coast nightmare <laughs> yeah there could be so many out of this set that are reprinted without reminder text and does that mean because there's that many unique effects that probably need reminder text does this set actually end up with less flavor text than you would expect out of a set not really okay. there was still a lot of room you know not all of the cards have keywords on them and a lot of them if they have a keyword on them they end up with two keywords because that was sort of the gag was like combining the two keywords but that was true with uncommon not for the common like the right right the dash elf is just dash with an EQB trigger. Yeah. And it's just pushing a mechanic into a color that didn't have it before, like the white team pump. It's, it's a combat trick or it's everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like if it was a common, it got a mechanic, usually a mechanic pushed into a different color. If it's uncommon, that's where we put all of our mixes and matches. Mm-hmm. That was definitely the rule at the time. I don't know if it survived exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure it bent in several ways. Um, yeah. But regardless, there were lots of things that had plenty of room for flavor text. And a lot of them needed that to sort of carry through the whole idea of the card. Like to get the whole package gag, like you have to have the flavor text with it. I mean, that that makes a big difference. Like I said, with the um, Settle Outside or Settle Beyond Reality, like the flavor text is two taken, two judged, one returned. And that's the thing that really sells the gag on it Mm -hmm. for me anyways. 
yeah, I think there's still plenty of flavor text. Yeah, I'm personally a really big fan of all the puns that you guys managed to fit in. Mm-hmm. I think Scale Up is my favorite. Oh, that one's so good. That like that just works on every level. That's really good. I was a little frustrated that it was originally previewed in a non-English language. Oh, yeah. I don't know if the pun worked in the other language as well. Yeah, so there's a glossary that we sent to the localization teams that includes any notes on translations like what they would have to consider or what we were considering when we named the card and hey if this works in your language please go ahead and there were a lot of um a lot of puns that had to be explained in the hopes that maybe this can be conveyed in multiple languages i know scale up dead of winter was was one rank officer yeah rank officer (laughs) i'd forgotten about that one yeah uh rank officer was good lots of examples of that where it's like Here's what we're doing. I hope this works for you too. <laughs> oh, Goblin War Party had flavor text on it of um, they certainly do, which was a callback <laughs> to Goblin Offensive, which had flavor text on it that was they certainly are. Mm-hmm. I think that was in the glossary at the time in the hopes that maybe this would carry through, but the flavor text got cut for space. Those dang keyword explanations. I know. Well, that one's just, uh, it's just modal and then has entwined, so... It just had a lot of space for a common. Yeah. Speaking of entwine, like looking at Kaya's Guile. Yeah. I'm fairly certain Kaya's Guile, that's the four modes and then with entwine. Mm -hmm. I'm fairly certain that that card exists because Kelly Diggs pointed out to me and some other people that entwine means choose all, not choose both. Yep. And then... We're like, oh, okay. Obviously, we need more than two. Right. Thank you, Meriden Rules Manager person, for yeah. bestowing us this gift. We will use it. <laughs> Is that a change in reminder text then? Because I'm looking at it right now and it says choose all. Do previous reminders say choose both? No, I think the no. reminder is choose all. Okay. The reminders are always choose both, but oh, in the comprehensive rules, it was always choose all of them. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's just that there weren't more than two until now. Right. There was definitely more than the usual amount of box checking in the set, <laughs> which is not really a good thing, but if you can check a box and also work within the structure of the set, that makes the box checking okay. It's like, it doesn't matter how you got to a cool place. If you got to a cool place that fits into context, it makes sense. Uh, so that's how we got Icehide Golem and Arkham's Astrolabe that have a snow mana in the mana cost and not just mm-hmm. on an activated or triggered ability cost. Yeah, and Icehide Golem was added late too. I don't remember what the switch was, but it was... Well, originally... It, it, it suddenly appeared. <laughs> yeah. Originally it was a... I think it was a white-green hybrid legendary. Like, there were a bunch of yeah. hybrid cards in the set for a while that were cards that existed exactly in two colors, like, with zero mm. changes other than the color of the mana symbol. It was, you know, just pointing out, hey, both colors do this. Here's here's us being cheeky and pointing that out. Only Natural Chant ended up surviving. Yeah, Nature's Chant. The others just weren't as good good right like i remember the red green one was arrogant worm and then the red color shift from planner chaos and that just felt like cheating yeah one thing that i noticed is there's no uh or unless i'm mistaken there's no phyrexian mana in this set is that something that 
could have been there along the way and then got dropped? Or is Phyrexian mana something that you just never want to touch ever again? Uh, it was absolutely in the set at one point. Oh. There was absolutely some amount of Phyrexian mana in the set. I think there was like a Slash Panther reference. Oh, yeah. I think there was. I think you actually came up with that one, Nat. Yeah, because Slash Panther is like a vintage meme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, in honor of Vintage, we had a version of Slash Panther for a while. Yeah, it was like a tiny Slash Panther, I think. I don't remember. Oh, maybe it was a, might have been a Slash Panther Viachino. If not, that's clever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there is a non-artifact thing that acts like that. There is a, an actual Viachino in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a Viachino. But, yeah, I don't remember. I was just curious. That's neat. Yeah, it seems like there are a few things that I wouldn't have. I mean, like Storm coming back and Delve coming back are, are big things. Dredge coming back. Dredge coming back. I knew that we wanted to make a Dredge card. Yeah. I mean, for, it is one of the most popular mechanics. It is yeah. the kind of thing where we say truthfully that we're never really going to do this again, or probably <laughs> never going to do this again in a standard set anyway. There was definitely some amount of homework time spent on, okay, we know we're never going to do this in standard. How do we execute it on it for Modern Horizons? Right. And Shenanigans, I think, was another Natmo's creation, as I recall. Uh, Oh, careful saying that. He's going to get shanked by some shops players. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't think it was. It's got to be his. (laughs) Yep, we know now. I had other, I actually, actually, I had a um, Destroy Target Artifact with Delve. I think actually it was a oh, um, Rack and right. Ruin with Delve, um, which I really wanted. But this is good too. Dredge Destroy Target Artifact is good. It's insane. I think I'm just confusing that with the comment that you left on the card about how it was definitely going to be a vintage card, or probably. Yeah, I'm sure card. it's going to get sure it's going to get tested. I'm sure it will show up in lists regularly. It's very strong. I know late in development, I asked if it could be a instant or cost one mana. and <laughs> Apparently the answer was no. You're like, I'm headed yeah. out the door. What can we do here? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like that the art has a, a breaking lantern on it for modern. Get it? Because it's mm-hmm. lantern. Anyway. <laughs> I did actually find your version. It was just one R instant delve destroy target artifact. And I remember mm-hmm. a conversation with you about Trinisphere. Oh, yeah, probably. But there are so many factors that go into making a set. Like, I couldn't tell yeah. you why, but I'm sure it was the right call. I mean, obviously, the set was going to have some artifact removal. And... Yeah. Well, I've been waiting for a Null Rod creature for a long time. And I was very pleased with Collector Oof because, you know, it doesn't take much for that card to be kind of a miss. You know, if it costs three or whatever, the colors are wrong. And I think that card was great. Yeah, the modern FFL team definitely made a few tweaks to that card. It was originally 2-1 for GG. I don't remember why it had those stats, but making it easier to cast and giving it the second toughness... I think it means that that card's going to see a good amount of play. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with it. Yeah. See, that one I did submit to Ethan. I'm pretty sure, I don't remember if I had it as GG at the time, but I know I submitted it as a 2-1, and I'm glad it's now a 2-2. I should have submitted it as a 2-3 and seen what happened. <laughs> we had a, a preview card uh, on our last show. That was our preview, was Collector Oof. Oh, nice. If you missed the last show, go back and watch. Yeah. Go back and listen. <laughs> we thought it was a good card. It's a good card. I think it's a good card, too. The uh, Cloud Shredder Sliver. This is the sliver that gives Flying in Haste, the red-white one. Yeah. Uh, So this is a reference to a Ravnica card that has been printed in all three Ravnica blocks. 
Uh, it's the one R dub two two flying haste, whose name is escaping me right now. But one of the things that we did, one of the exercises, was go through a bunch of creatures. Can this be a sliver? Can this be a changeling? Yeah. At one point, there were a whole lot of weird slivers and changelings in the set. But the Cloud Shredder sliver is, like, the art is even a reference to one of the images. I really wish. Yeah, Ah, yes. It is the original Sky Knight Legionnaire picture. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw someone pointing that out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely deliberate. One of the few cards to come out of that exercise intact. Oh my gosh, I never realized that. But the art is, I mean, because it's riding on some sort of thing? Yep. It <laughs> looks like a sliver. <laughs> yep. That's adorable. I'm still learning things about this set. Let's see. Other fun facts. Endling, for a long time, I was really trying to get it called Bling because <laughs> it was the black version of black the Ling cycle. Bling. And right. like riches is part of black's creative color pie. So... <laughs> Bling, yeah. yeah, okay. You, sh- you should have suggested that because we were looking for a shorter name. I did suggest Endling that. ended up being good, but we were looking for a shorter one because I know it had other Deathling, I think was a name for a while. Uh, Graveling, I think it was called for a bit. Graveling, which looked like graveling. Graveling, all right. Uh, no, bling. Wow. I have ideas sometimes. It doesn't make them good ideas. <laughs> I think the only thing I'm sad that didn't actually get through was the Good Fortune Unicorn. Like I submitted this card originally. And it was a reference to Juniper Order Ranger. Mm. Juniper Order Ranger is one of my favorite cards, kind of, ever. Yeah. To the Gatherer. <laughs> so Juniper Order Ranger is 3G-dub for a 2-4 human knight. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus one plus one counter on that creature and a plus one plus one counter on Juniper Order Ranger. Ah. So mm. Good Fortune Unicorn yeah. costs two less mana, is 2-2 instead of 2-4, and doesn't give a counter to itself. Right. But creatively, it didn't work out because I think this was slush art that was picked up. And there's no snow, so it was hard to call it Juniper Order anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. now it's set on the um, plane that Yanling and Jiang Yanggu are from. The, oh. The, yeah, it's the Chinese... Um, the Chinese exclusive plane. That's why it's eight years of good luck, because ah. eight is a good luck number in china that's cool all yeah, right i'm not it actually anymore. like it's actually really yeah cool. no it's 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 better than you think but yeah, okay. <laughs> but i understand not getting juniper order there's Ranger so much through. going on here <laughs> yeah i know no it's a lot of the things got mixed up in um creative i mean mixed up in a good way i don't know if you jeff and josh have particular vintage cards that you're excited about or anything like that yeah let's or... talk about those I'm pretty sure that the existence of Echo of Eons blows my mind that that's yeah, not that's a card. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Oh, yeah. It makes me wonder whether this is just actually better than Time Twister, because casting out of the graveyard at any time you want for two and a blue seems way more convenient than having to get it into your hand. Like, isn't that just an instant ban in every format other than Vintage just to start and maybe restricted in Vintage? Like, that card is insane. I think it's really only that good with Lion's Eye Diamond, which is only in Legacy. But I think it's very strong. I think it's really strong. But I mean, like, even in Modern, like, it's not too difficult to get this into your yard and then just have access to a new grip. Yeah, but that gives everyone access. Uh, I guess that's true. Including a real card. What's that? Faithful Saluting? Oh, yeah. Starting Echo Beyonds is real easy. No, I, I agree with you. It just, like... That seems super good to me. I, I think that that's probably the card that I am 
most excited to play in the set because i mean my favorite thing is drawing cards so <laughs> that has drawing seven of them on it and your second favorite thing is notion thief so. <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> you monster i i feel i mean i like echo of eons and i'm excited to see what it does in a couple formats i think my one worry with it is that it ends up being sort of wheel spinny and you actually need a direction when you're doing that but eventually you'll find a direction if you don't yeah, yeah, that's what I think in, so. in that if you're playing that card <laughs> your deck is the direction right yeah i hope that someone like plays that card in a sealed event and does well <laughs> <laughs> yeah aside from that i think i'm really a big fan of everdream just because once again, drawing cards and just being able to just sort of like, if you can fund it, that makes instants and sorceries so good. You can splice that onto a storm spell. Yeah. I mean, you can easy draw seven cards there. <laughs> yeah. You can do that in limited even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That green storm spell is yeah. strong too. Is it? I am I'm not a vintage player. Like, I, I don't think it's actually going to see a ton of play in vintage, but I... I like gaining life in that way. That seems good. There are a bunch of like edge cases of how Storm can do neat things like with Splice that, I don't know, having easy access to another Storm spell that could be relevant could be neat. But similarly, I don't expect Everdream to see a whole lot of vintage play, but I think that it's still a pretty cool effect. And I don't know. Is Aetherflux Reservoir a vintage card? Uh, Yes, kind of. Okay. It certainly has its fans who play it. I know uh, Raja, one of the players in Ohio, plays it. Okay. Yeah, and I think, too, some of the vintage stuff is just, like, it's simple. So, like, I was very happy to see a non-foil version of Kess. I mean, I don't, you know, like, oh, yeah. I don't like yeah, to play definitely. with foils, so it's nice to have that. Nature's Chant, I just mm-hmm. think that's, like, a great card. Yeah, because it's better than either Disenchant or Naturalize or either because those... you're playing Moxes. Like, those are vintage cards? Occasionally they're played. I mean, maybe not too much, but I don't know. Like, Disenchant's a card that people will play sometimes. I was made fun of in the chat a week ago for saying that Disenchant was still viable in vintage, so I'm feeling a little bit shamed right now. I like Disenchant. I do too. It does everything you need it to do. Yeah, it doesn't get hit by misstep. Come on. Yep. And and I like that Tribute Mage exists now, and that seems like a simple in for Vintage. Yeah. I mean, even if it just goes and gets Time Vault, like, I think that's a good card. I'm also really excited for Force of Vigor. That's the green pitch spell. Yeah. I think that card may be cool in the right deck. I think that card is for sure cool. Yeah, that's going to break a lot of Vintage things. Do people play green and vintage? Like, I, I'm sorry, I keep asking, like, is this vintage? Is no, these vintage? are all good questions. Um, yeah, these are fine questions. Green is a support color. I think that probably yeah. with Collector Oof and Force of Vigor, I think that we're probably going to see more attention into green. It's just a question of what can support it and what yeah. new can be built with having these well, options and some of the green cards show up in multiples right. where they don't do anything in multiples i mean i guess another collector of attacks for two but like survival is a pretty popular vintage deck and your second survival really doesn't do anything for you oh that's true yeah and actually um survival has been a very popular and strong vintage deck recently and i think collector oof is a for sure four of in that deck if you have multiple collector oofs in your hand, you can pitch them to survival or bizarre. Like it just seems fine in that deck where it's a strict upgrade over either Stony Silence or Nullrod, even though you might play five copies of that effect. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that could show up. I think Shatter Assumptions is pretty exciting if you're really looking to hate on shops players. Target opponent reveals their hand and discards all colorless non-land cards. Yeah, I've also heard people talking about that against Tron. Eldrazi. Eldrazi, sure. 
I'm happy for it to do anything. Like, yeah, I really wish I could keep track of like the ratio between the two modes. Oh yeah, that's funny. When is somebody ever going to cast it for the discard multicolored cards? For multicolored, like probably never. Yeah. I think when I'm looking at sets for vintage application, there's a bunch of cards that I get excited about, like, oh, this seems fun to play or interesting. Like, I'm glad this exists and I hope someone does something with it or I want to do something with it. And then there's a much smaller segment of cards that actually succeeds and goes on and does something. And I feel like this set has a lot more potential for this card succeeds and goes on and does something than most normal sets. Well, that's exciting. Like, yeah, one of the few things I know about Vintage is how dominant shop stacks are. Mm-hmm. Like, I've played in one Vintage event, and I think... Every matchup I had was against shops. I've had days like that. Yeah. And, you know, just seeing things get shaken up, mm-hmm. it sounds cool. Like, yeah. it's just not something that I think about very much. But I'm, I'm excited to see if something comes of it. There's a lot of cards in this set that specifically do something to shops. Shenanigans and Force of Vigor and Collector Oof is definitely a primary card against shops. And then I think it's interesting that Scrapyard Recombiner... I don't think is a definite in shops, but it's it's a card that, you know, could do something. And I'm excited to see if someone helps it succeed because being able to search for a construct seems very powerful. And being able to then modular with Arc Round Ravager is also strong, even though Ravager itself is not a construct. That's right. It's a beast. It is a beast. Also, it has creature type beast. I'm looking forward to seeing if people can figure out cool things to do with Vesper Lark. Oh, yeah. That is a card that I find very exciting. It was another one of the baby iconic creatures. This is Baby Mm -hmm. Lark. If you want to sing a song about Baby Lark, go for it. (laughs) But just paying two mana to get a one power creature out of your graveyard, like that sounds like a thing that there are decks you know, already doing that kind of stuff, like Proclamation of yeah. Rebirth. I think uh, a lot of people were looking that, at that as being a combo card. And I think actually it's it almost might be better as just casting it and then letting it die and having that be how it triggers, just getting the value out of it. Yeah. I like that name because it, it's the evening form of the Revel arc. So Reveille is played in the morning and Vespers are in the evening. Oh. Oh. Whoa. Right? Mind blown. <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. I yeah. I didn't know. Oh, all right. I do want to share this. So Winds <laughs> of Abandon. All right. This is the sorcery path for two mana uh, yes. overloads. Originally, it was called Path to Hexile. <laughs> when nice. exiling five creatures just isn't enough. Yep. Sadly, we have people whose job it is to not let dumb ideas like that through. <laughs> Fire them. <laughs> so path to hexile did get renamed but that is one of my favorite cards to to get all the way through yeah i feel like there's so much in this set to explore and you know Mm -hmm. i'm just scrolling back and forth through the card list and picking out different things that i love about it did you have any say in the reprints or do you have any comment on those i was part of some of the discussions okay like Factor Fiction originally wasn't in the set because there was a six mana nine yeah, card there was a version. Bigger one. Right. Yeah, it was bigger Factor Fiction. Turns out splitting nine cards into two piles isn't fun at all. <laughs> well, it's the same it's, kind of fun. But it, it costs way more. more mana, right? 
Yeah, right. It was just so much work and it slowed the game down way too much. Yeah. So I think the thought process there was, well, what if we just have actual factor fiction? Well, because that's yeah. also a huge addition to modern, right? Because that was not in modern before. Correct. All of the reprints are going to be new to modern. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's like that's a card that I think we'll definitely see play. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hope so too. Like I've heard people talk about how it's not good enough, but honestly... <laughs> If, it's, if these are magic players, then of course they're going to say that card's not good enough until yeah, it's played. The blue control decks in modern are pretty terrible and super slow. So like this fits great in a really slow deck, but you're definitely going to have like 10 lands in play. So well, I, I think, know... Um, oh, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. I just, um, I think that we need to... Talk about cats. Yeah, I think we need to talk about cats because otherwise you can literally go through like every card and, <laughs> and we could we could talk about it, which which would be great, but but not great for podcast length. So, I mean, we could transition from uh, what's the cat lord? King of the pride. King of the pride. Other cats you control get plus two, plus one. All right. So this is Yo Dog Savannah Lions. <laughs> sure is. But I saw the best gag on Twitter about this. Here is a cat that is a king that dies to Scar. Yeah. Oh. I saw that too. So now I love this card even more. <laughs> oh, one last thing that I want to say about the set. There's a cat lord here. There are ninja lords. There are slivers. Like one of the early themes was changelings and lords. Mm-hmm. And that I'm I'm actually really proud of came from conversation that Ethan and I had about one of my first commander decks that I ever built. It was Reaper King with Changelings and Lords. Nice. So, you know, at the time, I just put every Changeling that existed in the deck. uh, Right. And all the Lords I could find that, you know, helped give me some card advantage. But the deck was just a ton of fun. And the theme worked really well in play, where you had weird tribal benefits getting stacked on top of one another because Changelings. Mm -hmm. So, like, Changelings just are doing something radically different in this set than they did in Lorwyn Morningtide, because there you were counting the number of fairies or whenever a wizard enters the battlefield, do a thing. Here, we we just have more traditional lords that happen to benefit a huge portion of the set. Yeah, the Changelings really tie things together as far as being able to support multiple lords or get multiple benefits from different things like it's mm-hmm. it's it's pretty impressive the limited of this set was pretty great yeah like goblin matron finding yeah. <laughs> was unstable mariner i think it was called yeah unsettled mariner how great is that yeah like that's just that's just a ton of fun yep. so i am like i'm really proud that i was able to make that contribution and also that it was able to get executed on as well as it did. Like Ethan was the vision design lead, Adam Prosak, the set design lead. Those two guys are like, just did some amazing work. Like I I can talk about the set all day long, but the last thing I want to say is those two guys are great. They made an amazing thing and they deserve the lion's share of the credit for being the leaders and designers that they are. Yeah. They led a, a lot of great people on this set. It was great. Everything came out really well, I think. Mm-hmm. Going through it at the end while we were doing the flavor text editing was really pleasing just to be able to go through and have like an emotional reaction on every single card. Mm-hmm. This is the only set where when we had the slideshow, which is like uh slideshow is, is 
uh, after the set is basically done, the editor has made most of the changes, but not all the changes that they're going to make. And like this, it's a celebration, like get a whole bunch of people from the company, uh, people who worked on it, people in marketing and stuff, and just have everybody go through card by card. When the Modern Horizon slideshow ended, there was literally a standing ovation. Yeah. And it was one of the most powerful feelings. Yeah. To just have that many people in a room that excited about the things that they were seeing. All right, so cats. Cats. Yeah, let's go into cats. So I heard a puppy earlier. Is somebody here a dog person? I don't think that we have any dog people. You probably heard my. Yeah, cat. I think that was Jeff's cat. I heard that too, but <laughs> but I think that was yeah. Jeff's she's cat. been she's been buzzing around this whole time because I don't know. She's really upset that that Sarah is in the room with me and was trying to type without paying attention to her or something. Um, oh, yeah. Needy cat. My cats have been swarming around me as we're talking trying to get my attention Mm -hmm. one of my cats really likes playing fetch so she came over and she dropped one of her little mouse toys and she just looked at me with you know pleading eyes and why are you on this podcast and not paying attention to me right like how dare you not play fetch with me that's honestly probably what i'll be wants to because she has deposited both of her two white mice in this room and is shaking them around a little bit while I've been on the podcast, just sort of, you know, gentle nudging that maybe these should be thrown. You should be thankful that those, I'm, I'm assuming they're toys, toy mice? They are toy mice. I've never actually seen a real mouse in this house, and I'm interested how my cats would respond to a real well, mouse. Well, I'm, I'm going to say living in the mountains that having mice in your house is like pretty common. So sure. we have two cats, they're brothers. One of them really likes to catch and kill the mice, and the other one likes to eat them except for the head. Oh, yeah. I've seen that before. Yeah, you will find like random mouse heads on the carpet. Oh, yeah. When I was growing up, one of my cats, he was an indoor-outdoor cat, and he would frequently deposit mouse corpses on the front step of the house, uh, headless. My assumption has to be like, well, you can't hunt for so... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and he knows that you don't need the heads, so he took care of it for you. Right. Considering we're talking about a mutilated corpse... It's really adorable. <laughs> That's what I always think about, like, when they're playing with their mice. It's like, they're really, like, in their mind, they're pretending that this is a living thing that they would be torturing right now. Well, yeah, and, and we have, like, a <laughs> screen door, kind of, that has, like, I don't know, it's an inch gap on the bottom. And one of the cats used to sit there, and then a bird landed right outside the door once, and he just, like, swept his paw underneath and, like, brought the bird in the house. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like these things are, they're still wild animals, basically. They just live inside. Yeah. You had mentioned that you had been sent to the ER because of one of your cats. Yeah. So apparently cats have really dirty mouths. Yes. You know, he was playing in a pet carrier that's like kind of a soft shell pet carrier, but it has like a frame around it and it was open and he was like jumping in it and he jumped out of it, but wrapped the handle around his back leg. So I didn't even know what was happening. Like I'm watching him and then all of a sudden he jumps out he's connected to the carrier and he's just tearing around the living room. And I'm like, he's going to break his leg. So I ran over there and like grabbed it. And I still didn't know how I was connected to the carrier. 
So I grabbed his leg, figured out that he was like twisted in the handle and he just spun around and full on like closed his mouth around my leg. Ouch. Oh. So his like the teeth were all the way into my leg. And oh. you know, I, I freed him, he went on his way, and I was like, whatever, this is fine. And my girlfriend is like, no. Yeah, you should probably it's go to the fine. hospital. And I was like, nah, it's fine. And then two days later, my leg was like really swollen and red and felt like a peanut butter packet. And then I went to the urgent care and they're like, Yeah, this is a big problem. So they gave <laughs> yeah. me they gave me IV antibiotics for two hours. Yeah, apparently like cat Jeez. bites are are pretty pretty dangerous because they're very deep puncture wounds and uh as you mentioned, cat mouths are not very clean, so they carry bacteria on their teeth. And they're so sharp that they seal immediately. So like you can't yeah. you can't get to where they deposited the bacteria. Right. The nurse was like, You know that Ted Nugent song? And I'm like, Yeah, she's like, That's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't listen to Ted Nugent. What's the song? Cat Scratch Fever? Yeah. yeah. Oh. She's like, Cat Scratch Fever yeah, is like a right. thing and it will make you go crazy and you could lose your limb or die. Yikes. Let that be a lesson to everyone. Get your cat bites treated or try not getting bitten by cats. That's also a good idea. Well, yeah. Cause she said like, she's, she said, you'll know when it's a problem. Like if your cat's like playing with you and gives you a little nibble, that doesn't matter. But mm -hmm. basically yeah. like when it gets really deep that you can't get to the area to clean, then you have a problem. Yeah. When it's an actual puncture, but now the cat and I are good friends. That's good. Well, he, he tasted you and you were okay. Yeah. So. You're delicious. <laughs> yeah. We're only talking about like sinking teeth in, like yeah. breaching the oh, skin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, just like, play by yeah. doesn't count. I mean, anything superficial, even even like scratches, like my cat will periodically just like accidentally scratch me with her teeth or something. And it's not a big deal. But if they actually like puncture the skin and go into your tissue, that's not safe. Like I couldn't even see teeth. I just saw gums and the teeth were gone. Ugh. And I was I was supposed to go on a, a backcountry bike ride in Utah out of cell service for like three days, which is why I went to the hospital in the first place. And I had him draw a circle around my infection. That was basically my go or no go circle. And if my infection went outside of the circle they drew on my leg, I wasn't going to go. And? It stayed inside the circle. Everything was okay. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad you made it. Mm -hmm. I lived in a house in college and uh, one of my roommates had a cat. The cat and I were in competition for catching mice in that house. And? Well, I, I used traps with peanut butter on them, and she used her natural hunting skill. And I think by the end of the year, she had passed me, but I held on for a long time. It was three to two. <laughs> Do you think that magic players tend to cats because of, you know, traditional associations of cat people and dog people? Or are there dog people? Because I think that all four of us are probably would call ourselves cat people it seems like i just like animals that <laughs> just likes animals okay and i'm not allowed to have a cat because my wife is allergic yeah i know like i'm a cat person i'm definitely a cat person i don't know ali I, I haven't known you for very long but you seem kind of cat person-y to me i'm very cat person-y okay. there are certain lesbian stereotypes that i steer into <laughs> <and that's> <laughs> so are we just missing the dog people representation of magic players or just do we trend that I way? I mean, we, I have dogs. Oh, no, there are dog people in our right. Like, Ken Nagel has, like, this dog, Booster, like, came from a pack. <laughs> it's pack fresh. Yeah. Uh, Booster is just this big, sweet, 
I think Booster's a golden retriever. And that's the, I think the only dog I'm aware of from R&D folks. Maybe it's just the toxoplasmosis coloring our perceptions. <laughs> well, toxoplasmosis has been scientifically proven to increase uh, affinity for magic. <laughs> what? So, no, you heard it here first. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It might be coincidence. But I definitely do see that as a trend. Like Kibler's dog is a notable exception because Shiro is kind of adorable. I feel like there's there's lots of dogs in the magic world, as probably as many as there are cats. Cats are just easier to take care of for a lot of people. That's true. There are probably more cats in magic, especially given the Susan Van Camp. <laughs> uh, also, the fact that dog is not a creature type. It's hound, isn't it? It's hound. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I did notice one thing. Uh, hopping back. There was a random cat in the Goblin Engineer. Oh no! In uh, art, in that's from. Uh... It's not Goblin Engineer. No. Is it one of the things flying in the background of Munitions? Expert? No, it was just like in the lower right of the card, and it has no relevance to the card itself. But it's just like, oh, hey, random cat. It's the card in Guilds of Ravnica that sacrifices to deal two damage to a creature or blow up a colorless. I always get it confused with Goblin Bang Chuckers. <laughs> <laughs> crater maker yes uh, crater that maker. one oh, and yes. it's got the little little black cat in the art yeah just yep a little random black cat ah uh, spe- oh other uh little cats um i think it's affectionate indrick oh yeah affectionate indrick is real good in that. yeah so you got the dinosaur on the ravnica bridge and it's headbutting somebody this is a was a Jiren card, and around its feet are a bunch of cats. It's obviously just grown up with cats. That's adorable. And there's also the handsome cat on Generous Stray. Oh, what a good boy. So we have, like, there are so many cats in Magic, and not very many dogs, so clearly... There are some dogs, you're just forgetting them. Patrol hounds. Some dogs. I mean, Wild Mongrel oh, is true. a high-profile and, and Wild Mongrel is a really good dog. It's true. Yes. Now I'm, now I'm curious. The number of hounds versus number of cats. Uh, so there are 75 creature type hound. That many? Wow. And 180 creature type cat. Man, jackal pup. That's still a lot of hounds. That's crazy. Magic has been around for a long time. It's true. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, Hydra Doodle. Hydra Doodle's a hound. <laughs> uh, man, I should be able to search Wolf Muffin and have it come up. Is that Patrol Hound? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yeah, there are a lot of dogs, uh, but not a lot of good dogs. Well, I think part of it is that there are Leonin that make up some cat folk. That's and true. Were there? Oh, are, yes. are Inok dog folk? Inok or hounds, yeah. Okay. Uh, you have like Hound Scout or Hound Warrior. Oh, there is Snowhound, though. Like way back in Ice Age. Is that the one with the. Uh, it's yeah, just like a same That's the one with the, uh, the barrel? Yeah. Oh, that is a nice dog. I don't really know where we're going with this, but this was interesting. This is probably good. We should probably wrap this up. (laughs) It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. And I'm Allie Medwin. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Trip a little, trip